Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Once again, we may have to fill up the Ark, uh, Nancy, with uh, two of every species, male, female, maybe have a third, a transgender animal. Uh, because we're expecting really bad inclement weather next weekend, a strong storm that could bring the first overnight frost and freezes and ice and hail uh, in New York City and the Northeast. So just uh, as a warning, give people an opportunity to prepare for this. What could they do for the animals who live outside, the feral cats and other animals, to protect them in what could be really bad weather? Uh, uh, well, see. Good evening, everybody. So, uh, w- I guess what I would suggest would be if you have the ability to create any sort of uh, shelter for them. So, uh, during this upcoming week, if you can go to, you know, like a local hardware store, um, and and get something like equivalent to uh, uh, Tupperware, like a Rubbermaid, sort of, you know, something a plastic container. Uh, you know, something that, you know, you can sort of cut a hole into where they can go into and keep themselves dry and, you know, potentially warm. So, I mean, that that would be sort of an easy solution. A box, unfortunately, in the rain would, would get too wet and would be useless. So, you know, something that's a, a little bit more, uh, you know, sturdy would be helpful for them. Absolutely. And do it now because there are going to be other times uh, throughout the coming winter. Uh, into possibly the early spring where we're going to have that kind of inclement weather. Yeah, and you can just look online. I mean, there's um, plenty of directions in terms of how to make a lot of these shelters. And surprisingly, a lot of it is very easy. And maybe people have these things at their house and they don't even realize it. So they could make it right now. Absolutely. Uh, Now, I know that when I sent you a picture from where I was Thursday night, It broke your heart because there I was at Liberty State Park, the Tunnel to Tower dinner after their golf tournament. And I took a picture with your all-time favorite New York Yankee, David Wells. And unfortunately, you couldn't be there. Uh, But I had to send it to you. I I had to send it to you. Yes, you did did have to send it to me. What was Very briefly, what was it? Out of all the Yankees, because you spent like two summers going to every home Yankee game. In fact, you even saw Coney's uh, perfect game. 
David Cohn, but what was it that made, uh, in your mind, David Wells, your all-time favorite Yankee? Well, I mean, like just speaking from my own perspective, but probably the perspective of, you know, tens of thousands of other New York City residents, you know, during that time when the Yankees were doing so wonderfully, there was a great energy. So sort of to be part of that, that, you know, moment in time where, I mean, I, I just remember my heart sank when he was traded. Like, I just felt, you know, a little bit, you know, like something went wrong because, again, I think there's, there's, I mean, again, to, to his point, right, he, he did an interview recently where he said, you know, you know, part of the thing with if the players don't do so well, you want to send them down to the minor leagues because there is that ego element. So, I mean, there, there's a psychological element. So I think the psychological element of what was going on with the Yankees at that time was it was so high-spirited and everyone in the city got into it and everyone was just feeling the energy. Like, it was almost like you just had to be there. It, it was a great moment in time. And by the way, he had a old Babe Ruth cap on, remember? <laughs> yeah, and he pur- he purchased that, which, you know, most people would put that in a, a glass container and, you know, have you come and visit it on, you know, their time. But he actually wore it in a game when he was told he couldn't wear it because it wasn't uh, regulation and he wore it anyway. So, you know, just, uh, I, I mean, I, I respect that too. So I think that's, uh, you know, paying homage to someone who you really respected in your field. So, and uh, yeah. you, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, the Curtis Lewa Facebook page, and see me with David Wells and then see me with Nancy wearing her. Uh, New York Yankee cap that she wears every, uh, everywhere. And by the way, I now have to worry. So many callers have been telling me they look forward to hearing you on the Animal Welfare Hour, uh, 10 to 11 before Dominic Carter comes on on Sundays. Now they'll be wanting you to do a Nancy Sleewa Super Sports Spectacular, too. Oh, that would be fantastic. I, th- I think we would have a lot of fun with that. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. You know your sports. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. But now... Let's get back to your field of expertise, and that is animal welfare. And there was a story that came out today. I'll never forget during my mayoral campaign in which you were side-by-side with me. We were talking about so many animal welfare issues and also why we don't have no-kill shelters. And I had actually taken that platform in my mayoral campaign against Eric Adams uh, from John Katsimatidis, who was the first candidate ever to run for any major office anywhere in the United States who had that as a platform for his campaign when he ran in the Republican primary to become mayor in 2013, that the shelters in New York City that are run by this organization that you'll describe, that are funded by our tax dollars, could be no-kill shelters like they have in Austin and Los Angeles now. And tell us the really bad, dismal, dire news that's coming out of our shelter system that houses uh, dogs and cats and other animals that are either surrendered or uh, are found, uh, ultimately, some of them to be euthanized, killed, destroyed. Uh, Okay, so, well, I mean, we've clearly spoken about the dire situations in the shelter system you know, you know, throughout uh, all of our, the shows, but 
uh, this particular lawsuit. Now, what, like, what's interesting to note is that this was um, brought by an organization, uh, Home Stretch Dog Haven. Now, this was one of the uh, rescue facilities that contracts with the city shelter system. And, you know, when they contract, what they're doing is, you know, they're taking the animals that are uh, slated to be euthanized, least desirable, not adoptable, not adoptable to the public. You know, they're, they're really hard to adopt out ones, usually with um, uh, high medical costs associated with them. But, you know, by having that sort of level of intimate relation, you know what's going on. So because they were critical, you know, as have been not only other rescue organizations, but individuals who've been appointed to, you know, any degree of, like, um, oversight of the animal care and control, the minute that you're critical, they cut your contract. So this is where the lawsuit began, where, you know, this organization, the, the contract was cut. But what they were doing was they were critical in all of the right ways that you would hope that, you know, any organization is going to be, especially when you're dealing with city funding. So they were, um, you know, specifically uh, uh, talking about dogs that were adoptable that are, uh, you know, being brought into the shelter system. They are given high degrees of, uh, uh, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, they are put in very squalid living conditions, and then ultimately they're euthanized. So there's this almost like this immediate plan of action where they know these dogs are going to be unadoptable, but yet they still continue on this course of action to, uh, you know, drug them up and, and, you know, again, keep them in these really horrid conditions. Now, this is something – now, this was, again, uh, speaking about dogs. Now, this is something I can – speak about in terms of with uh, the cats that I've rescued, you know, every cat that I've rescued, um, it's it's unbelievable the amount of pharmaceuticals that are given to these animals, you know, upon intake, even with the idea that they are not potentially going to be adopted out. So again, you know, going into the specific numbers, there's like $24 million a year is given to animal care and control to monitor and oversee the shelter system. Well, half of that goes to salaries. So, you know, and then the offices uh, where Animal Care and Control, uh, Risa Weinstock, who actually is the head of that, is in Park Avenue, which is obviously a very desirable location. But the three locations where you can publicly adopt the animals are in the most horrific areas you can imagine in each borough, like not accessible at all to the public, where none of these animals are going to be seen. So, this lawsuit, and, and this lawsuit was even citing things that was um, uh, cited by Thomas DiNapoli in City, um, you know, when he had done a report years ago. So the, it wasn't even that they were saying their own information. They were giving information that was done by our own, our own state comptroller regarding animal care and control. So, again, this is a very solid case, but this has been, unfortunately, again and again, now, whether or not it will lead to any change, we'll see, but clearly a very valid case. Well, you know, during the campaign when I was running against Eric Adams, we made this a major platform. And Animal Care and Control, this quasi nonprofit city agency that sits on millions of dollars, was calling me a liar, saying I was making this up, that they really weren't euthanizing that many animals, dogs and cats. They said it's minimal and only if they're so sick 
There's no other way to spare them of suffering. They they made they made me out to be like, oh, you you want to grandstand on this, and now here's an organization that worked directly with them, had a great relationship with them, and the first time they criticized them, they were cut off, cut off. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, obviously, unfortunately, this happened uh, with us previously as well when we were critical. Uh, because we were trying to rescue a kitten that they decided to put down before we got there. And so that that became a problem for us in terms of adopting. So this is a repeat pattern. And, again, the the point is there's no reason to have to give money to uh, animal care and control. And, unfortunately, what's happened is, you know, we've set up this uh, ironclad contract where they're going to be in control of the city shelter system until 2052. Like, that's something that needs to be cut off right now because they've already been shown to be super ineffectual and how any contract for any job can last that long makes zero sense. And again, all one has to do is visit these three animal care and control shelters. One is in Staten Island, even further out than where Frank Morano comes from, the South Shore, Tottenville. It's it, it's in a little part. It's almost like a, a, a closet as part of a mall out there. I mean, it is so small. You know, when, when I used to see the um, the dogs in the shelters, you know, they were in these very sorry-looking individual stalls side by side. But it's even worse now because they're stacking them on top of each other with half the space. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. There and then in Brooklyn, you have to go to Linden Boulevard across the street from one of the most dangerous public housing projects, Cypress Hills, in existence. On one side, you have the Boulevard public housing projects. Uh, then you have the pink houses. There's gunfire there all the time, the most dangerous place to be. Uh, and who the hell is going to go there to take a look at the dogs and cats before they get euthanized? I mean, and, and again, the whole process, I mean, you can't get there easily accessible through the train station. Then you have to take a bus. When you even go to the facility itself, there's a gate outside of it. So you have to ring on a doorbell before they you know, open the gate door up. I mean, How in the world is anyone ever going to see any of these animals possibly to adopt them? It's not. First of all, uh, when you were going there, I told you, you're not going there on your own. I'm going along with you. That's how dangerous this neighborhood is. And then the, the third location is in East Harlem. Again, another dangerous area of East Harlem. And you're saying to yourself, why aren't you showcasing these animals that are either surrendered in or found or somehow animal care and control uh, come across them? I mean, they should be working with all of these, um, you know, vacant storefronts to showcase these animals, which otherwise are sitting in more or less, you know, back rooms where no one can possibly see them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You've heard that song. How much is that little doggy in the window? (laughs) There are so many empty storefronts just on Lexington Avenue alone. We're like a block away from Lexington Avenue. It's like Cleveland at night, 10 o'clock at night. Nothing's open except for smoke shops, weed shops. And you see storefront after storefront 
with that cheap brown paper on it that we used to wrap our school books with if you couldn't afford Batman and Robin and Superman, you know, book covers. And it's the scrungiest. Like, you get a few of these storefronts. You put cats in the, the window. You put dogs. You have some people there to care for them. And people are going to come by, and they're going to be adopting them. And if they can't adopt them today, you know they'll be there next week. You know that they're open. They're, it's it's a safe neighborhood. To, I don't know if any neighborhood any longer is safe in New York, but a hell of a lot safer than East New York, East Harlem, and a place out in Staten Island that you can't even find on your global positioning system, a little uh, closet out there. So we really got to prioritize this coming in in 2024, Nancy, because now we have the documentary evidence. They called you a liar. They called me a liar. We said they are killing dogs and cats needlessly, euthanizing them, destroying them. And now we have a group that was involved in rescuing dogs and cats that worked closely with them, that reported on the fact of what they were doing, and now they're persona non grata, and they've been forced to sue them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, hopefully, you know, they will be successful. But, you know, to the point of bringing attention, you know, I think most people don't realize what goes on at the city shelter. So there are a lot of other groups who are doing the right thing. And sadly, this is just the one that we're funding, the most ineffective group. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then speaking of uh, euthanizing or destroying your friend or your family member in the form of a four-legged uh, furry little creature, it could be a cat, dog, or other animal, there was this one story, you have to explain it, quote, I wanted to die after I put my cat down by mistake. What is that about? Okay, so, it, I mean, this story uh, is, it relates to a woman who... Uh, adopted a rescue cat uh, named Rosa, and, you know, apparently this cat had, you know, been at the shelter. It had signs of abuse. It was there for a period of time. So, you know, it, it took several years for this cat to, you know, become comfortable with the owner. And, again, it's like so to some of, like, the caller's questions, um, like how long does it take before maybe some of these, uh, you know, personalities come around? If, uh, in this woman's uh, instance, it was two years, but then after two years, this cat was, you know, completely friendly, followed her everywhere, um, you know, so like very, very totally different personality. Then in 2018, it was diagnosed with feline immunodeficiency virus. Um, now, this is something that, you know, I, I think cat owners are maybe familiar with hearing, but you know, when you hear that diagnosis, or again, depending upon how many cats that you've had, you know, this has been something that unfortunately in the past was something that was viewed as like a death sentence for cats once they were diagnosed with it. So when her cat was diagnosed with it, uh, you know, her her vet had actually um, suggested to her at the time that it would make sense to euthanize the cat, but she said, oh, well, no, I'm going to, you know, keep taking care of the cat. And then a few months later, the cat had surgery, and it needs to have um, steroids, um, you know, it, after the surgery, but that wouldn't be able to work because it was diagnosed with this. So, you know, then she decided at that point to euthanize the cat. So, unfortunately, after all of this, what she found out was that 
the initial diagnosis was speculative and maybe the cat didn't have this, you know, FIV in the first place. And then as a result of that, what she did was, you know, she, you know, started an entire crusade. Like, you know, she almost uh, took her life, like to your point, the, the, the name of the story, because she was so upset that she had gone so over the top to rescue this cat. And then she felt that she had betrayed this cat because she wasn't um, savvy enough to have figured out this sort of medical nuance that, you know, you should have a, uh, any pet, you know, tested multiple times, even if they're given sort of one testing. And this is something that happens, you know, unfortunately for a lot of people, you know, like you go to the vet and you do get the initial testing for your pet, but there are diagnoses where you you do need to have a, a second a follow-up and some people just get that initially and they kind of, you know, run with it. And unfortunately, this is also, you know, the combination of having, you know, sort of not knowing that this wasn't really an illness that was going to be so hard, but realizing that you need to get secondary testing. So, again, this is what she's made her life mission now. Um, she second mortgaged her house and now she has a mobile vet clinic where that's what she does. She tests um, these animals so that they can be sure of what their, you know, status is. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, I've met many, many people in my lifetime. And I will tell you that many people will stop me and they reach into their wallet and they pull out a picture of a dog or a cat that was like a family member, a friend, and uh, they'll tell me how important that animal was to them and their family and their life. And sometimes it's the picture's 20 years old and they're still mourning. They're still mourning. You could see they're still in grief. What is it about the loss of a pet, a furry little creature, whether dog or cat or other animal, that seems to resonate even beyond the loss of a good family member. We're not talking about a family member who you say, oh, good that they died. They were, they were the worst. But, but somebody that you really loved and you respected, like, for instance, in my case, uh, my mother, my father, I venerated them. Venerated. I, I am who I am because of them. I didn't cry when they died. When Hope, the calico cat, who was with me during the campaign. Every night when I would come back after campaigning for mayor, sometimes one, two in the morning, and I'd sit in a chair and I'd be fuming. Uh, Hope came and stood on my shoulder. All the other cats hid, and you put the pillow over your head. You didn't want to hear it anymore. And when, when Hope died, the calico cat, she had a stroke right there in front of us, and you try to care her, nurse her, and then we realized we had no choice but to bring it to the vet and... We both saw how the vet was able to euthanize her very slowly as we were holding her and watching her for the last time. I cried for days. What is it about that connection with an animal that oftentimes supersedes the connection that you had with your own family members, friends, or people that you've lived your whole life with? I mean, my my guess would be it's, part of the the moments of solitude where you can sort of just uh, speak and, and not hear anything. I don't know. I mean, they, they seem to understand you. They seem to know when you don't feel well. And, you know, just they'll be by your side when you just are looking for 
a little bit of attention. I mean, you know, they're very intuitive. You know, I, I think that's what it is. It's, um, you know, they 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 don't, um, you know, uh, bother you too much, but they seem to be around when you're you're looking for for you know someone. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And on that note, the Wall Street Journal had this huge article this week of how veterinarians are confronting what was a human problem for years. It's part and parcel of uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign to now run independently for president, anti-vaxxers. What did they mean by all of this? Okay, so the the uh, research was being done specifically, you know, um, uh, following the COVID sort of time period, and I think it was trying to make a little bit of a connection in terms of that. But I, I think a lot of this is probably just true across the board in terms of anyone who has a pet and maybe um, is required to vaccinate them. Now, this was again in relation to. Uh, in relation to dogs specifically, and it was saying that 40% of dog owners uh, think uh, vaccinations are unsafe, 30% think they're unnecessary, and then 20% think they're ineffective. So, I mean, th- there's a large portion of people who, you know, don't want to vax them or, you know, have the maybe yearly updates or boosters. So then, you, you know, you, the, the argument is being presented against that. Well, you know, it's when more uh, pets are unvaccinated, it's unsafe for pets and people. But again, this is like the argument of following the money. You know, the the idea of how many animals need to be vaccinated for it really to be an issue. You see a lot of animals are being vaccinated and they're still being euthanized. There's not a lot of uh, direct connections between, um, you know, for example, pets, dogs in the household who potentially have anything that can... Uh, be contracted to, you know, their human counterparts. So, again, th- these things are – there's no question it's overdone. I mean, in my opinion, it's absolutely overdone. This is – it's ridiculous. And especially when you're having a pet who's indoors, the idea that you're sort of yearly r- renewing some of these things r- makes no sense to me. But just to give you some of, like, the uh, the craziness of, of what this is, so rabies vaccination, that's pretty much the most standard, typical – that any pet owner has to get for dogs or cats. And almost every single state requires that you have a rabies vaccination. But now only eight states require rabies vaccinations for animals who are coming from out of the country. So that, you know, sounds to me like it's not very logical. You know, if you're trying to really focus on what's going on, like how can you have such a disparate treatment? So, again, I think a lot of these um, vaccination mandates remain in place because, unfortunately, there's a lot of contracts that are in place where these pharmaceutical companies make money by doing something unnecessary. So, I mean, this needs to be really reexamined 100%. But I've told this story before. I used to hang out in the back of Canarsie Cemetery, a block from where I lived on 89th and J. It was the only secular cemetery in New York City owned by the city. And the bats would hang from the trees because they'd sleep by day and they were nocturnal. So I'd hang upside down and be looking at the bats. And one time, I guess, a bat uh, felt that I had woken them up out of their sleep and bit me right in my stomach. And so when they rushed me to, uh, to Brookdale, boy, was that a mistake. The doctor goes to my uncle 
has he been vaccinated for rabies? <laughs> and my uncle Vincenzo, who were like half stung God, said, I don't know. Said, well, we better give him the rabies shots. There were like 12 of these monster oh, no. <laughs> shots, like with horse needles, right yeah. in my stomach. Yeah. Because my uncle, remember, they didn't have cell phones back then, no way to contact, you know, my mother who would have known if I had been vaccinated, uh, given the rabies vaccination. And I will never forget getting those horse needles. Uh, Uncle Vincenzo, I don't know my, anyway. Anyway, our number's 1-800-848-9222. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, looking at the news, we have home invasions being done by our local thugs and thugettes. We have home invasions across the country being done by illegal aliens. And we have a series of home invasions that are being attributed to bears. All over the country, Nancy, all of a sudden we're seeing these videos and pictures of bears coming through windows and coming through doors and ravaging the house. Is this uh, is this too much hype or is this real? Uh, well, I mean, well, certainly it is. A, it is occurring. Um, I mean, and I think the stories are fairly uh, feel good stories. You know, they're kind of cute. Like, I don't think anyone is uh, traumatized. So, you know, it's like the this in this particular instance, this was showing the bear coming in through, you know, like an open window on the deck, uh, going straight for the refrigerator, going to the freezer. Now, and then the pictures of this bear, it actually has like a, a tag on its ear and then also a, a collar on its neck. So... Uh, to what degree they're tagging them, I'm not sure. But, you know, it goes in, it grabs the food, uh, it it walks, it jumps right back out the window, and, and that was the that was the story. It was an intruder. So nothing to worry about, right? No, nothing to worry about. It was, uh, you know, just a – and actually it was all captured on the security camera. So no one was home. There was no direct encounter. So it was, uh, it was all good to go. Well, in fact, today we had what looked like a problem. You spotted it. You eagle-eyed a porch pirate who was trying to gain access to the foyer of the apartment building we live in. The um, I guess you can call it a four-story apartment building. And uh, I went out there in the hallway. I had the schmata on my head. I was ready to confront him, but he had already did the bird. Yes. Uh, so we can assure people there are no bears that are doing home invasions, uh, at least in our neck of the woods. But in Jersey, uh, they're in the middle of their bear hunt. You know, Murphy originally said as governor he wouldn't sanction bear hunts. Now he's sanctioned bear hunts. Give us an update on that. Okay, so, um, yeah, so this, so this is part of the you know the 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 bear hunting which clearly unfortunately ha- is continuing to to move forward and the you know the the idea is that they they just ended this past saturday uh one phase of the bear hunting and what you know the the goal post was if they didn't sort of uh, uh <laughs> 
I, I, I hate to even use these terms. It's so barbaric, but like cull or harvest this certain amount of them, they would then continue uh, to additionally allow the hunt, which is what's going on. So, you know, they have these tallies, and apparently they did get a, you know, um, not enough where it closed down the, the bear hunt, so it will continue now. And, and what's interesting is the the site that, you know, references. So if you want to, you know, find out uh, specifically about the bear hunting and if it's continuing to go on and where you can hunt, uh, you know, the uh, New Jersey wildlife site, it, it also tells you, like, what's required of doing this. Now, one thing I find kind of uh, unfortunate is that if you want to get a permit to bear hunt, it only costs $2 to do this. Now, clearly there's a lot of people who are doing this. The fact that they're not monetizing on this more to then maybe use the money to you know put toward any sort of conservancy effort because the whole thing on this page of the New Jersey site is that the reason we have to do this is because we don't have any alternative means and we're not keeping the population in check, so you have to go out there and hunt them. Well, we, they wouldn't have to if they actually had this, but they also, you know, go to this, like, little warning section. Why does it make sense to do this? And they cite all of these bear encounters with humans and also the fact that bears are now doing home invasions. So as, as though that's justification right now. Well, the bears like the idea of conservancy as opposed to being executed. Anyway, let's go to the phones, a full board, as there always are, of people inquiring on animal welfare issues. Let's go to Pat in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pat. Hey, Curtis. It's been a week since I last talked to you guys. Hi, Nancy. Hey, um, two things. Did you do your homework on the whales? And um, also, we uh, we, rest, we got a dog from Jersey. Her name was Lucy. And today is our three years anniversary. And um, we cry every night. We had a pillow made of her. And our friend actually got a picture uh, for us and the uh, in a frame on the wall. We cry every day. It's, she was our girl. She waited for me when I came home from work. So I know what you're talking about, Curtis. So, so Pat, uh, you probably don't cry for friends or relatives or family members who've died already that long. Why no. for your pet, your friend, your, your furry little family member? She just brought us a bundle of joy. And, you know, we drove to New Jersey where... Mama Luke lives, and uh, it, it was just one of those things, you know, it was love at first sight, and she was so little, and she was caring. She was a Lassipoo, and I, I'm sure Nancy knows what they are, but they're so cute. And Well, let me, uh, let me uh, Pat, Pat, let me give you an update on the windmills offshore, especially Jersey, six miles off, 13 miles off, where half in the bag, Governor Murphy will not... Uh, at all put a stop order on their construction. They're all the size of the Chrysler building. That's how big they are. Uh, Nancy, as you know, I was in Franklin Lakes uh, for a GOP meeting. Jack Citarelli, who is running for governor again, just barely lost to Murphy. Murphy's term limited, so he'll have a new Democratic challenger, not an incumbent. And he categorically said, when I'm elected governor, There will be no windmills. Absolutely not. We're going to care for the whales and the dolphins and the birds that are being slaughtered as a result of these windmills. And I said to myself, imagine 
Greenpeace supports now the slaughter of the whales and the dolphins and the birds due to all these windmills out in the ocean. And the Republican candidate for the governorship says, no, we got to stop it because of that. What a change of events. Yeah, I mean, again, and, and I don't see how it's not so abundantly clear that what's happening. I mean, the minimum that these glorious creatures are washing up on shore should frighten everyone what's going on underneath the surface. Boy, that was so heartening to hear, though. Jack Cittarelli saying, that's it for the windmills. We're going to save our friends, the whales, the dolphins, and the birds. That, that was great to hear. Anyway, let's go to Christy in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Christy. Hi, guys. Curtis and Nancy, it's just we love you, my husband and I. And I wanted to talk about the vaccine or just tell you my experience. So I have, we've been rescuing cats for many years. We have lived right on the Hudson for like 31 years. And, um, and we're still rescuing cats. And I have one cat that lived to be 21 years old, and the rest were about 16 years old. Never had them vaccinated, went cross-country with one of them. He'd get out of the car, go into the woods, and it was 10 years later before he died, and not from anything. I mean, he just, you know, 21 years old. So I think that's pretty interesting, and that sort of points to me about follow the money. Oh, yeah. The uh, big pharmacy, pharmaceuticals, both for human beings and animals. Uh, Christy, you're you're so spot on. I notice, Nancy, every time you take one of the rescue cats that you've saved from being euthanized, that's destroyed from the animal care control, uh, that uh, vets always want to start inoculating them. Uh, what What are they inoculating them against? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's it's the the the, the vets at the animal care and control. So again, w- within like 24 hours of them being there, they're getting everything, and usually in in no proportions that make any sense. So again, herein lies the problem, right? There's no plan of action when they come in to adopt them out, but there's a very clear plan of action to overdrug them, which makes no sense. I mean, think about the think about it. it wouldn't make sense for a person. They're stressed. You don't know what situation they just came from. It could have been a hoarding. It could have been that the owner passed away. They're in a stress situation, and now you're giving them varieties of drugs, which is clearly not going to be good for their system. And that's the first and foremost, but you don't necessarily have a place for them to go, and that's not even your goal. I mean, it's so illogical and cruel. Let's go to Ralph from Middletown, New York. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Ralphie. Yes, Curtis. What I'm going to talk about, I have a feral cat. I fixed a lot of cats around here. Now, most of them passed away. Now, this one cat, he stays in the house with me, but he hits me in the head to go out. He won't go to the bathroom in the house. He goes outside. I'll be 83 years old. I got a lot of things wrong. I don't want to go to But I'm afraid if something happens to me, he'll be outside. He'll die outside. I wonder if there's a place where they could take a cat like this. He, he can't be rescued because he won't stay in. But he's laying on me now. He lets me pet him. He lays down with me. 
And I'm afraid that if something happens to me, he'll be left out in the cold and die out there. I don't know if there's any place that could take a cat like this, uh, you know, not, not, not even put in a cage. If there's a farm, is there farms that they could put them on a farm with other cats? Well, well Nancy, well, what, what Ralph is describing doesn't seem to be a feral cat because I've seen you with feral cats. They will fight to break out of the uh, apartment or indoors. They, they do not want to stay indoors. So is that really a feral cat that he the cat will stay with him in the house until it has to uh, tend to its needs and then it will go essentially to the bathroom outdoors. Yeah, I mean, again, right, the, the term feral, it's kind of a, an odd term, but, yeah, it, I mean, it's it, to say wild or however you want to say that, but it's really just saying, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of cats, they don't want to be contained to begin with. So the idea that, I mean, yeah, the idea that this cat is, is comfortable outdoors, but if the practical issue right now is that, it's that, you know, it will constantly want to be outdoors. If there's a way to do something, so, for instance, depending upon maybe where the location of the, like if, there, if there's a litter box indoors but the cat won't go outdoors, like if there's a way to create something very, very close to the front door where it starts to slowly think it's like that, like where it makes that connection, or maybe someone can help you make a little a little uh, kitty doorway where, you know, it can walk in and out. So, I mean, because that seems like the immediate issue, and, and I think the cat would probably be happiest being with you right now anyway. And so that that would be, I mean, it's better to keep the cat with you and just sort of resolve that issue. I think it's resolvable. Let's go to Nick in Canada. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Where in Canada are you calling from, Nick? Curtis, I'm calling from a little town called Timmins. It's a gold mining town. Hmm. And uh, they do a lot of mining. I was born up here. and You guys were talking about the bears a little while ago. I got lots of bears that right around us. And when I walk my two dogs through the bush, they sniff them out, but I don't let them chase them. And we actually get to see them. And and um, to be honest with you, I really like them. They're more afraid of, of a person than than you think. They, they want to run away, especially if you got a dog. But I keep mine on the leash when I know where the bears are. So when we walk through that little area um, where they hang out, there's a couple of bears. There's a young one, and he's he's really nice. Like, he, he comes up to people will complain to me because he's on – he, he comes out of the bush and he runs up to you if you're on a bicycle. He's looking for something to eat. One of the guys that I know that walks on the trail, he's a, an old geologist, and he says, I think that bear was put loose from its mom a little too early. And it's like it's in an area where it's not really good feed for them, like for blueberries and raspberries and stuff like that. But bears are, are afraid of people, black bears. Grizzlies will eat you. Like, that's just their nature. That's the nature they have. But black bears will run away from a person. They'll usually stand in their high quarters and snort or give you a little huff. If they do, a, like, a fake charge, they'll just run at you real quick and then stop, and they'll stare at you. And then they're not wanting to harm you, and then they run away. That, that's my that, that's Now, my Nick, uh, you say you live right. in a gold town in Canada. Which uh, Which province? Ontario. So you are you are way up near the uh, the I guess uh, you call it the Hudson uh, Barrier. Hudson Hudson Bay. Um, well, we're in a little town called Timmins, and if you wanted to get to Hudson's Bay, when I I used to do a mining magazine, I published a mining magazine for twelve years, and I went up to a mine called Detour Lake, and that we had to go on a bus 
on a on a winter road, and it took us uh, about about two hours to get there. And when we got there, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's called Detour Lake. And w- when we were about to leave, it was getting evening, and the guys were saying, "If you stay overnight, we can show you the lights of Moosonee, which is on." on the shores of, of, uh, of, uh, of James Bay, which is connected to Hudson's Bay. Uh, and that was about 80 miles away as the crow flies from where wow. I was at that gold mine. I was doing a story on it. But now, now, now Nick, about- how, how are yeah. you, how are you listening to us? Is it a terrestrial radio? Is it an app? Is it a stream on your uh, computer? Well, right now I'm, I've got you on my computer, but a lot of the times I, I, I jump in bed and I, especially in the winter, I can get you guys really easy on my. Uh, I've got a great big old uh, Sony uh, a Ghetto Blaster, and it's got a good uh, reception. It picks up pretty good in the winter. In the summer, it sucks. There's not much. Right, but that that just shows you the power of this radio station. You're in Northern oh, yeah. Ontario, and you can pick up the signal at night when it gets colder on uh, what many of us have. I, that's what my I had for a long time the Sony uh, uh, former boombox. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, boombox. Yeah. And yet the incredible thing is we could be riding up and down the avenue that's right next to us, 3rd Avenue, and the signal comes in distorted because of all the buildings, and yet you uh, can hear us way up in northern uh, Ontario. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that just, a bell. That, I, love, I, I love Friday nights and Saturday nights, Curtis, because I, I say, oh, tonight's a Curtis night. <laughs> yeah, till the break of dawn, to the break of dawn. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep I'll keep you up there. You know, you have snowstorms up there in, uh, wow, Hudson Bay. Uh, Nancy, you know how far north that is? I mean, next step is the North Pole. <laughs> it sounds fairly far north. That's a little gold town. He described it so magnificently. And imagine he's sitting there in his bed. He's got a Sony, an old-fashioned Sony radio. My father had, and he gave it to me. And he can hear us crystal clear at night once it gets colder. That is absolutely amazing. It skips all the way up there. Yeah, and again, like to what he was saying about, um, you know, um, being friendly with the uh, local bears in the community, I mean, I think that's part of the thing that needs to really be discussed. It's like this narrative. I mean, we're supposed to be living, you know, peacefully amongst all of these creatures, and yet all of these organizations that are supposed to be looking out for them, like, for instance, all of these wildlife organizations are saying, every time you see them, it's a problem, be scared, call 311. Like, it's not a problem. We're just running into them because, you know, the population isn't being controlled. They're not doing anything, and we see them. So these are more or less friendly encounters. So like what he's seeing with the bears, I deal with with cats when people are like, oh, why are you feeding them? It's like they're here. Like, I didn't bring them here. They exist. If if the population isn't controlled, I mean, and you're being, you know, caring for a living creature, it's like, we should be promoting that narrative, not let's hunt them. That's the bad narrative. We want to say let's help them. That's a good one. Well, there are three. You mentioned uh, two animal sources that are in there. Make that three. If people see you feed bears, they go nuts. Yeah. If they see you feeding feral cats, they go nuts. Yeah. And if they see you feeding pigeons, 
which yeah. some people refer to as rats with wings, they go yeah. nuts. Yeah. So, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, again, and that's a problem for people as well, but, I mean, uh, to the point of saying if the population isn't being controlled, and, again, unfortunately in New York City, the barbaric methods that are considered okay to deal with them, I mean, I, I see too many walking around with, like, no, you know, no feet. So, I mean, I feel bad for the ones hobbling around in pain. So, you know, that makes me look out for their interests. All right, very quickly, the mayor who's afraid of rats, <laughs> intimidated, he's given every reason in the world that, you know, rats are the number one problem in the city. He's obsessed with that. He now has a new plan, but it sounds like it's going to cost all of us a lot of extra scatterall, a lot of extra moolah schmoolah. Can you explain it? Yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, one of these sort of um, odd approaches at trying to, quote-unquote, address the rat problem. So now apparently um, going forward starting t uh, next fall, single-family homes and buildings up to, you know, 10 houses, uh, 10 residences rather, they have to purchase garbage cans, and these garbage cans – are going to be, um, you know, mandated from a, a, a yet undisclosed uh, person who's going to be bidding with New York City. And apparently this is going to be the solution to the rat problem. But the problem is right now they're estimating that these garbage cans are going to cost $50 like uh, per can. Now, it's not saying how many it's going to be charging for the residences, the, the apartment buildings with 10 or more people. And... Commissioner Tish is saying, oh, this is far less than most cans cost. Well, I, I looked online. This is, like, actually twice as much as most cans cost. So <laughs> I have a feeling this is really just a, a, a bill, trying to get some money to one of these contractors. Of course. Uh, when you say contract, we say kickbacks. Anyway, if people want any further information on animal welfare issues, how can they get it from you during the week? Uh, they can uh, check out guardianangels.org and uh, animal protection tab, or they can email me, nancy at guardianangels.org.